If you're a fan of fat, then you need to try the F-bombs. Go to JimmyLovesFbomb.com, enter the coupon code JimmyLovesFbomb, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. So what are these F-bombs? They are nut butters, and they have incredible combinations of coconut and macadamia nut, macadamia nut butters, and my favorite is salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. They also have several oil blends, including the house blend, the MCT oil, as well as coconut oil. If you want your fat on the go, then you need to check out JimmyLovesFbomb.com. And once again, use the coupon code JimmyLovesFbomb. You'll get 20% off your first order. JimmyLovesFbomb.com. Do you miss ketchup on your low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle? Then let me introduce you to Alterna Sweets, alternasweets.com, the healthy option for ketchup. It's sweetened with stevia and has the highest quality non-GMO ingredients. There are no artificial ingredients at all. In fact, there's no added sugar of any kind and keto ketchup that actually tastes like real ketchup. Guys, I have been using this and it is now my favorite condiment in my kitchen. Alterna Sweets offers free shipping on all U.S. orders and there is a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't love it as much as Jimmy Moore does, they will refund your money and you don't even have to send it back. Again, it's called Alterna Sweets. Head on over to alternasweets.com and you can get your hands on this keto ketchup. Alterna Sweets, the information and opinion provided here are for educational purposes only and are not intended to provide individual medical advice. Material conversations and statements found herein are not intended as and does not substitute for a personalized doctor-patient relationship. It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole. They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk. Keto Talk. Here's Jimmy and Will. Hey, hey, guys. We're back here on episode 132 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website. It's ketotalk.com. And once you're there, you'll see we talk about low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diets. And in case you haven't heard, the hottest diet going around right now, which is so amazing to me when we started the show, wasn't so much, but it is now. And we're very privileged to be back here in 2019 with brand new episodes And if you like to hang out on Facebook, we also have the official Facebook page for this here podcast at KetoTalkFB.com. That is the Ketonian Corner. Go hang out with your fellow Ketonians and learn all about ketogenic living. My name is Jimmy Moore, the international best-selling author of Keto Clarity, and I'm here with my co-host. It has been far too long, Dr. Will Cole. Uh, he is the best-selling author of Ketotarian. Definitely go check out that book if you haven't already. But welcome back to a brand new year on Keto Talk, Will. Wow, it's it feels like a long break, and I know we get messages on social media and like, where when are you guys coming back? Where's Keto Talk? <laughs> yeah, and we, the questions throwing... didn't slow down. I still got a bunch of questions in <laughs> in the interim of being off the show. It's like, okay, yeah, just because we stopped the show doesn't mean they stop asking questions, right? Now, we were throwing people's <laughs> schedules off. They always like listen to the show when they're working out or they're driving. Yes. <laughs> 
they had nothing, you know, nothing to listen to. But we were able to to reboot and recharge and and all of that jazz. Of course, you had the continued success of Ketotarian going on. Did you do any like uh, events with Ketotarian while we were off? Yeah, I did. We spoke. I spoke at in New York City at a Goop, uh, the Goop Lab, which is the shop for uh, the, all Goop products. And I spoke about Ketotarian there. Is that a hair gel? Ed- is that what Goop is? Hair gel? Uh, <laughs> the other Goop. This is Gwyneth Paltrow's amazing company, Goop. Yes. And yeah, so we <laughs> talked about brought Ketotarian to Goop uh, audience there. And I've did a few other uh, talks too. I, I had so many, I can't even remember. I, I think I was in Texas after we started recording and yep. a few different locations and then spent the holidays with my family in Los Angeles. So yes, was, you did. It was a fun, and we did some work out there too, talking about it. So, uh, never stopping. I'm excited for 2019. Oh, the work never does stop, does it? So, uh, and yeah, um, I was busy as well during the season. Of course, Real Food Keto came out shortly after we went off the air and uh, has done really well. We got into Costco. It sold out of like three-fourths of the Costcos within just a few days of being in Costco, which was pretty amazing. Um, so they had to reorder and it's it's doing very well. We're real excited about the potential of that uh, book here early on in the new year. And this is always the fun time of, of year. You're, you're a brand new author, a first time author with Keto Terry. And so you're not used to New Year's resolution time and people yeah. being interested in health at the beginning of the year. But you saw the nice little boost with Keto Terry and climbing up the charts really early in the year, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it's been doing really well and I'm very thankful. I had no preconceived notions of what it would be like. So it's been been a cool, cool journey so far. Yeah, my fasting book uh, jumped up to number 50 in all books. I'm like, what in the world? (laughs) Yeah, and you sent me the picture of that top list in Canada. Both of our books are on the list. Yes, 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 yes. It's pretty amazing. Um, and it's cool now that you and I get to host a show together and two best-selling authors that get to jibber jabber about something we're passionate about, which mm-hmm. is what keto is. Now, speaking of keto, I mean, we are all about keto talk on this show. Where do you see this happening and going in the year 2019? Is it going to continue to get bigger and bigger? And at some point, you know, is there any point where we go, okay, this, the market is saturated and people are going to get tired of keto or do you think that's going to happen this year? I think 2019 will be the next level for the ketogenic movement of all shapes and sizes of what that looks like, all iterations of it. And, and, and it will be bigger than ever, I think, as far as mainstream awareness of it. And you're seeing that. And I think when you look at big uh, food events like Expo West they are projecting that as well, where we have the biggest food of expo in the world uh, in Los Angeles or Anaheim every year. So I think that, uh, yeah, it's going to continue to grow. But but we know it's having it's in its zeitgeist right now. But things come and go as far as pop culture is concerned. But what I love about the ketogenic lifestyle is that even when pop culture, you know, the wave comes and goes, the truth remains, the, the, the evidence remains, the results remains in people's lives. So whether people are talking about it as much as they are, we know that won't last forever, but, right. um, 
I'm excited while it's making a positive impact on more people's lives. And then even when the bubble, the pop culture bubble bursts, all of the the same things will be happening on our show and in people's lives. You know, what's really fascinating is if you look back at like the last few diet trends that have been out there, the most recent one prior to keto was paleo, sort of kind of a lower carb styled real food eating diet. You also had the whole 30 that was mixed in there, sort of kind of a lower carb, real food based diet. Before that, you had the Atkins diet, which was a low carb diet. So it seems like we're kind of refining it the the more we go along. <laughs> so yeah. I'm wondering, what's the next incarnation of low carb beyond uh, keto? Is, is it carnivore? Possibly. I think that it's definitely rising up as well as far as people's people Googling it and searching for it. Um, you're, you're probably right. I don't think it'll have the same legs as keto because it's a little bit more <laughs> specific as far as foods are concerned. But I think it will definitely have its time in, in the light, in the yeah. sunshine. Well, I, I'm giving it a go here in January, by the way, for National Carnivore Month is January so I'm doing it this month just to see how I do. It's the it's the opposite of ketotarian. It's meatotarian, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll go with meatotarian for this month. We yeah. d- we still want to try ketotarian styled uh, yeah. on my on my you Friday can- podcast. We're gonna bring you back on to oh, man. to do ketotarian at some point. But that would be great. We're actually starting uh, in January a 28 day ketotarian challenge. So nice, but you can't do it at the same time as meatotarian, <laughs> but. <laughs> For everybody else. The keto meatotarian diet. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Well, it sounds like really good things are happening, and we're really happy to be back on the show this week for you guys in a brand new year. And we've got a lot of great content. And like I said, the questions didn't stop, Will. So we have plenty to talk about here in 2019. So let's get right to it. And if you're familiar with our show or if you're brand new to the show, welcome. Welcome to the fray. We appreciate having brand new listeners. But what we do at the beginning of the show is hot topics. So these are some of the most common questions that we get. We whittle them down into these quick, fast paced answers. And so we do five hot topic questions. And the number one uh, question we're going to do this week is do skin tags go completely away for good once you've healed insulin resistance. Now, skin tags are a sign that you have insulin resistance. So it would make sense that uh, if you heal the insulin resistance, they go away. But do they stay away? If if the underlying cause of the skin tags is insulin resistance, then yes, they should go away. And if you've reversed your insulin resistance, then they should go away entirely and sustainably for good. Uh, and those are ones mainly around the neck area, maybe some in the back and the armpit area. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones most closely associated with insulin resistance. Now, I know of other root causes uh, of skin tags that are not insulin resistant related, like low grade viral issues. There are other reasons why people have skin tags. Um, but yes, if it's a true one from insulin resistance, if you are increasing insulin sensitivity, then that's something you should see dissipate sustainably. Um, but we all know that there are some of us that are prone to more insulin resistance than others. So you may not get to full insulin sensitivity because of maybe prolonged having uh, insulin resistance and you will see an improvement, but not an entire 
resolution. And that's not to discourage anybody. You know, you're doing the best you can with what your body is capable of doing. Yeah. But for somebody that's gaining insulin sensitivity fully, you should see those go away. Yeah. As someone who has pretty bad insulin resistance, I have skin tags come and go. <laughs> so the, yeah. they'll disappear as I get uh, healing from uh, portions of the insulin resistance, but then insulin resistance rears its ugly head and I got new ones that pop up in a different place the next time. So it's a, it's a whack-a-mole right now, <laughs> whack-a-skin tag right now. So, well, let's get to the second hot topic. If fasting increases HGH, human growth hormone, then can you build muscle while fasting? And one of the ancillary topics we talk about often on this show is fasting because it's related to keto because you naturally fall into these periods of fasting and people are curious about it and want to push the boundaries of it uh, a few days. And so this question is wondering, can you build, build muscle while you're doing fasting because of the HGH? And this is one of the maybe the criticisms that fasting gets is that, oh, you'll lose muscle mass and right. that's a reason not to do it. But actually, it's quite the contrary. Fasting enhances human growth hormone naturally. Um, so there's the spike of human growth hormone in the morning when someone's fasting, but then there's sort of this balanced regular secretion throughout the day. That's not artificial. It's not, uh, yeah. it's not uh, pathological because we know that hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance increases human growth hormone as well. Um, but that's, un it's unnatural. It's, it's not the the balance that the body needs. And it's the Goldilocks principle for everything in the body, not too high, not too low, but just right. But fasting is a really easy way to naturally enhance human growth hormone, uh, which is needed. It's critical for maintaining and building lean muscle mass and not just muscle mass, but bone mass as well. Um, so studies have been sh shown to that fasting is one way to really enhance muscle mass. And this is in the bodybuilding world and the sort of the fitness world that training in a fasted state uh, is one way to help build lean muscle mass. So this is something that I have seen with patients and also personally, it's one way to really enhance your workout uh, is to have a fasted workout. Plus, you fully deplete the glycogen stores when you do it in a fasted state and you get all the benefits that come from that where you tap into stored body fat for energy. And there's nothing but good things that happen from that. Absolutely. It increases norepinephrine, which is basically a neurotransmitter that allows you to push yourself more to train harder and it will uh, speed up recovery as well. So all in all, it's a really great thing. It's not going to you're not going to lose uh, muscle mass from from fasting. And because HGH is higher in the morning, would you say a morning fasted workout is ideal? Yeah, I would say so. I think that that's one of the best ways to biohack the workout is to kind of leverage the increase of human growth hormone in the morning and work out then. So hold off on the bulletproof coffee till you get done with your workout. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it a couple hours after you work out. Yeah. Well, let's get to the third hot topic. Can getting into ketosis be a part of the cure for hepatitis C? Now, I hate to use that word, C, the C word, the cure word, but uh, people, several people actually wrote and said, hey, um, I'm wondering what impact keto could have on this condition, hep C. Yeah, so hep C, it's, it's a virus, a viral infection. People can get through blood uh infusions getting uh, you can get a film uh, like unhealthy uh, contaminated blood transfusions you can get it from sharing needles you can get it from 
tattoos that aren't like tattoo artist uh, facilities that aren't clean. And then a lot of people don't know how they got it and they're diagnosed with hepatitis C. Um, so what we know about the ketogenic diet, obviously, is how it helps liver function. Uh, so I definitely think it's something for people to consider uh, that are struggling with hepatitis C or know somebody that are struggle that's struggling with hepatitis C. Um, because why? It's the hepatitis C virus is glucose dependent. So the ketogenic diet helps to modulate these beneficial immune pathways that we love and we want to enhance in our body for optimal health. So that could decrease the viral load. It could inhibit viral replication because it is glucose dependent. And because hepatitis C can increase uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver, basically fatty liver problems, this can also be improved with a clean ketogenic diet. So yeah, I do think it's one application for people to consider uh, that's struggling with this virus. It always gets me that people would be concerned about real food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if it happens to put you in a metabolic state that's outside the norm of what conventional wisdom says, it's still real food at the end of the day. How is real food going to harm you? Yeah, and I think that's good that we are talking about the diet in this context because a lot of times I think there's a lot of stigma around the diet that they think it's something bigger than it is. It's, it's that they think it's something more they have to consider more than it is. It's, it is real food and we're using real food in a, in a practical way. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. The fourth hot topic is how does someone with pancreatitis do the high fat part of the ketogenic diet? I had a couple of questions come in uh, with people that had pancreatitis and they're like, oh my goodness, my doctor's having a conniption fit that I want to do a ketogenic diet because they're like, you can't handle that fat. Is that true? Well, Every case is different, and there's acute pancreatitis and chronic pancreatitis. You have to kind of look at the, the individual. Um, but I know of a study that was published in the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology that found that higher fat intake was actually associated with lower pain scores with people with pancreatitis. Uh, and other studies uh, that are out there showed that MCT oil, the medium-chain triglyceride oil made from coconut and palm uh, oil that many people in the keto world use was also associated with decreased pain after a meal and really minimal increased CCK levels or cholecystokinin, which wow. is the, the, the basically you do not want those spiking to high levels for people right. with pancreatitis. Uh, so yeah, I think it's definitely something that they may have to modify. They may have to start off with lower fat and then find their threshold to sort of wake their system up. But I mean, what's one of the worst things for the pancreas? It's carbohydrates. It's sugar. sugar. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that you're taking that pressure off of it by limiting sugar and things that drive inflammation, I mean, this is a good move. You're just going to want to pick the types of fat that works best for your body and kind of experiment with that over time. But I've seen really good success over the years. People had flares. They would have these recurring, uh, relapsing, remitting flares of the pancreatitis and they didn't have any on a ketogenic diet. So it's definitely something that they can personalize and make it work for themselves in most cases. And this is where protein moderation is also important for these people because of the glucose effects that could come from that, which would impact that pancreatitis, right? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think it's... Just a matter of experimenting it for yourself. Your doctor's probably not going to know much about it. No. Um, and they're not going to really be equipped to give you all the answers on it. 
So I think it's going to be one where you want to have an open and honest conversation with your doctor, but ultimately you're going to have to experiment for yourself. Yeah. Well, let's get to the fifth and final hot topic. What factors determine when you need to possibly shift your keto routine? So people uh, ostensibly have started on keto in the new year and they're going along. And how, how long should they wait until they maybe make changes? Because sometimes we get impatient if we didn't lose uh, any weight this week. We're like, oh, my goodness, I have to cut my fat. I have to cut my calories. I have to you know, drastically change things in the diet. Um, how long would you say in your functional medicine practitioner uh, kind of experience that patients should uh, be patient and wait to see how keto is doing for them? I would say you want to take many um, report card assessments of how you're doing on a weekly basis and a monthly basis. Check in. But you have to put things in context. You have to say to yourself, look, this where you're at today took time to get to where you're at today. So, yes, you want to see general things trending in the right direction. Um, but oftentimes people have huge goals and they don't give their body the time that it needs to get there. So give yourself grace, give yourself patience and lightness throughout this journey. But I would say while assessing general trending in the right direction over the course of, you know, reassess after a month and then two months and three months. But I would give yourself a solid three months of saying, what, am I better than where I was? Uh, and then if you're not entirely where you want to be, it may just need more time and there's no tweaking needed. Um, but maybe after the three month mark, you should maybe run some labs, see if something else is going on. So yeah. do a really good, solid three month objective and subjective assessment of saying, how do I feel? And maybe run some labs to see if there is something else missing that you have to personalize it to make it work for you better. Um, so that's what I would say. Take take inventory of your energy, your digestion, your sleep, your inflammation levels, yeah. that kind of stuff. And with the popularity of keto now, people are just trying it kind of like what they did with the Atkins diet. Oh, I'm doing the Atkins diet. What are you doing? I'm eating meat, eggs, and cheese. So so you read that in a book somewhere? Or, no, that's just what I've heard what it is. And same with paleo. Well, I heard you eat sweet potatoes and honey. And, and so people kind of have these media versions of these popular diets. So with keto, oh, I'm just eating lots and lots of fat. And, uh, and so they're not getting optimal results because they're not actually doing any given plan. So read a book like Ketotarian, read a book like Keto Clarity, something that will get you grounded in the right way. And then test for ketones, test blood sugar, just kind of to check in to see where you are. And then if you're getting good numbers there and not seeing results, then maybe that's when you need to reassess like uh, Will was just describing. Yeah. Well, that's all the hot topics. I've missed doing that part of the show, by the way. So I'm really glad that we got that one in. But let's get to the very first question of 2019. It's our kickoff question. And it says, hi, Jimmy and Will. I am such a big fan of your podcast and books. These have been a real godsend to me. And now doing keto makes so much sense. I'm 56 years old, five foot five, uh, five inches tall. I've been eating this way since April last year. I've lost 12 pounds, but my family doctor is freaking out about my LDL cholesterol. My HDL and triglycerides have always been stellar, but the LDL has gone all out of whack. My first cholesterol test in October came in, and these were the numbers. Total 415, trigs 56, HDL 82, and LDLC 322. My doctor retested four weeks later, 
and I thought I needed to cut down somewhat on my eggs and cream cheese consumption. And here were the results I got in November. Total cholesterol 392, trig 73, HDL 80, and LDLC 297. She wanted me to start on a statin medication immediately, but I declined. Because I had read Cholesterol Clarity, I requested the NMR lipoprofile particle size test and will be getting that run very soon to see where I stand. Of course, my doctor gave me all the standard nutritional advice that we've heard over the years, encouraging me to cut my dietary fat and that I better get on Lipitor soon or I'll be at risk of having a heart attack and die. Now she's got me scared. All of my other blood work came back completely normal. I'm thinner than I've ever been in years, and I don't really have to exercise to maintain my weight. So how high is too high for LDL cholesterol where I should become concerned? Perhaps I need to cut down on my dairy or even go completely off of my beloved ketogenic diet, which would make me sad. Say it ain't so, you guys. Any help you could provide would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Diana. So Diana's question is this. Is there any such thing as, quote, too high, end quote, LDL cholesterol to become worried? And I know we talk about lipids quite a bit on this show, Will, and for good reason. People are concerned and they have idiot doctors. And I'm just going to put it that way. That's horrible that a doctor would tell this lady, you must go on a statin or you're going to die of a heart attack. I mean, it's just disgusting the way mainstream medicine uses fear mongering to get patients on a drug that may or may not give them benefit. Right. And then uh, really, I think that that's the only option that they have, too. It's just like this flippant comment because that's the tool they have for that that high cholesterol. But I mean, as we know, and as Diana knows, having that NMR run makes perfect sense. So I'm excited to see Diana's results. Diana, you can send it in to us. Uh, we can kind of see the pattern. Um, so I'd want to definitely see the NMR, which looks at the measurements of your LDL particles. Uh, for people that don't know, I would recommend everybody having that done, especially if they're talking about being put on statins or, or on statins, to look at the pattern of your cholesterol particles. Um, but the fact that Diana's triglycerides are well below the optimal, like they're in the optimal range, below yes. 100, that's amazing. Her HDL is strong in the 80s. That's also the functional medicine optimal zone. So from what we know, it looks pretty dang good. Yeah. Um, I would also, things that Diana didn't mention and maybe ha- consider um, having it ran are looking at inflammation levels like high sensitivity C-reactive protein. Mm-hmm. We want that to be under one. Looking at homocysteine levels, we want that under seven. Something to look at and what I see oftentimes with my patients is that Thyroid levels, specifically um, hypothyroid levels, so lower T3 levels, maybe lower T4. These are two different types of thyroid hormones that inhibits the clearance of cholesterol. Uh, we've even seen this on the show as well with our listeners, and they've checked their thyroid and they said, well, well, my thyroid was contributing to my higher cholesterol levels. So that's something to consider where it's just a thyroid issue and you fix the thyroid component and then the cholesterol comes to uh, lowers a little bit more. Uh, as far as, I mean, look, if Diana's ratio looks good, uh, I don't see a problem with that. But we want to look at the pattern. We want to look at the inflammation levels, consider looking at the thyroid. Um, and we know from studies, that, I mean, recently, this uh, awesome study done in the medical journal Neurology found that LDL levels was actually associated with a decreased risk 
of cardiovascular problems and speci specifically cerebral small fe uh, vessel disease, um, basically neurological vascular problems. So all other uh, lipids, like they were actually, the higher they were was associated with decreased risk for these markers other than triglycerides. Yeah. But by Diana's triglycerides are below 100. But something that she, as far as like a health history standpoint, the things I pulled out from uh, hearing her question was she mentioned cutting out dairy or cutting back on dairy. Mm -hmm. And we, when we looked at her second labs, they were lowered a little bit. So experiment with different types of fats. It doesn't mean that you have to throw out the ketogenic diet. Just go for maybe more monounsaturated fats like uh, avocados and avocado oil, olives, olive oil, nuts and seeds, maybe some eggs, wild caught fish. Uh, bring uh, these things in and maybe you'll see this, um, you know, normalized. We don't know the APOE4 mutation, if she has one, a 3-4, yes. four, a 4-4. Four, four. So there's some things to consider from a genetic standpoint and a gut standpoint that would maybe say, okay, go for other fats, but it doesn't mean stop and abandon the ketogenic diet. It's just right. personalizing it for Diana. And so many things to consider before you ever think about medication, a statin medication, uh, you could still get a CT heart scan to see if there's anything going on there as far as uh, calcified plaque taking place in the arteries. Um, and, and then a CIMT, a carotid intima score, just to kind of see what's going on there. Because I, I think at the end of the, of the day, we're all just wanting to know, am I developing disease or am I not developing disease? And an LDLC number is not going to show you that. And Diana, if you've read Cholesterol Clarity, then you know that that's merely a calculated, estimated number based on this thing called a Friedwald equation. And so when your triglycerides are under 100 like yours and when your HDL is over 50 like yours, guess what happens to that LDLC? It is miscalculated. So I don't think it tells the whole story. I definitely am interested in what your uh, NMR lipoprofile test comes back as, as well as the HSCRP that Will recommended. Those are really invaluable um, kind of going forward, seeing what this actually means in your health. Yeah. Well, thank you for that question, Diana. And we're going to pause here for a quick break and we'll be back with today's health headlines. Yeah, getting healthier, trying to start. You heard all the ketonians talk. Kiss my keto, high and fat. Oh, yeah, low carb. Check it out. So official. Nothing used that's artificial. Products full of electrolytes. Raise your ketones, get you right. Woo! Everything on the label. Oh, yeah, 100%. What's listed is what you get from the foods to supplements. Healthy mix of all the fats, few carbs. I'ma be real. And the new ketogenic bar. It's a meal that'll get you far. Yeah, kissmyketo.com. Use LLVLC for 20% off. $50 purchase or more on one order. Yeah. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Happy New Year, you guys. Glad to be back here in 2019 with a fresh new, fresh new perspective on keto because people are talking about it everywhere. We've been talking about it before it was cool, so... <laughs> We're really happy to be back, and we have some great health headlines, you guys, to talk about uh, on the show today. And the first one here is from Business Insider, and this one says, The keto diet fascinated Americans most in 2018, and here are the top 10 
uh, diet trends of the year, according to Google. And so Google puts together these, uh, these uh, I guess, these search terms, people looking for stuff. And what they find is that people really were gaga goo goo about, <laughs> about keto in the year 2018. Um, does that surprise you at all? Uh, what do you think's driving that, that people were very interested in keto? I think that it's, again, it's, it's in its zeitgeist right now. It's part of this pop culture um, movement that I'm excited about. Like you said, we were talking about this before it was in on people's radar and it's something that we've used in functional medicine for a long time. Um, but it's really cool that people are catching on to it. And like you said, it's a new um, uh, iteration of the low carb approach in a very specific, unique way of tapping into the wondrous, far reaching benefits of nutritional ketosis. So I, I'm excited about it, obviously. Yeah. Carnivore also showed up on there uh, with Dr. Sean Baker being quoted in there. Of course, all the other usual suspects, the Mediterranean diet was in there. Uh, Dr. Stephen Gundry's diet uh, on lectins was also uh, featured in there. They always have to like throw in their commentary or some expert. Oh, this this sounds interesting, but here's why it's so horrible. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, fasting was also in there where people are interested in that. And so, uh, you know, on and on and on, all of these interesting things that happened in the year 2018. But now that we move forward, um, the new year always brings these lists of the best diets and the worst diets. And of course, uh, who is it that puts together these best and worst lists uh, diets every year is the U.S. News and World Report. It seems like clockwork, Will. Every time the turn of a new year happens, we get this list come out and people are in an uproar. And I've seen it. I've been around for a very long time in this community. They used to do it with the Atkins diet. Then they did it with the paleo diet. They did it with Whole30. And guess what? Now they've done it with keto. And that's the second health headline. Best diets ranking puts keto last and the DASH diet first. If you're a fan of the keto diet, you'll be fired up about its ranking in the 2018 list of best diets. It's tied for last place. Uh, it stresses a ton of protein. No, it doesn't. Uh, or fat. Yes, it does do that. Minimal carbs, putting the dieter in ketosis when the body breaks down, blah, blah, blah. People in such diets often deal with fatigue and lightheadedness as they adjust to a lack of carbs. Um, not if they keep their electrolytes in balance. They don't. So anyway, uh, this happens every year, Will. And I'm sure you see it and you just kind of smile and go, OK, there they go again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember last year they came after Whole30 and Melissa's what she's doing. I mean, they're just I don't get what what they're basing this on. Oh, I, I really do. Don't. <laughs> I do. It's the dietary guidelines. Oh, right. They they compare. And so I want to be in last place. Compared yeah, right. to the dietary guidelines. Now, if they ever get the di guidelines, you know, in order, the 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 order's going to flip. I mean, keto and whole thirty and paleo will all be number one <laughs> if they ever get the dietary guidelines cleaned up. But that's what they're doing. It they're basing it on how does it stack up to what the U.S. dietary guidelines for Americans. And people say, well, they don't matter. This is why they matter. Yeah, because people read these articles. People yes. read this is what's hitting the headlines. This yes. is what's being shared on social media. Yeah, it's a problem. You're right. It is upside down. But I guess it's a good thing that we're last. And the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So I'm good there. 
I'll be last place all day for that. Well, let's get to the next health headline, and we're continuing the theme of kind of New Year's resolutions and the best diets and all that. So uh, Insider says what experts think about New Year's resolution diets people want to try in 2019. And so they polled 1,102 people about what diet-related things they want to try. And, of course, it had to be thrown in there. The low-carb diet came out on top. 27.7% want to try a low-carb diet. Keto, which is it's interesting they make a distinction between low-carb and keto, but keto was in third place after calorie restriction was second, which those poor people are going to be hungry. Uh, keto was 16.9%. Uh, eating less meat, which is kind of ketotarian for you, 13.3%. Uh, gluten-free 7.6, Atkins 4.7, Whole30 4.4, Paleo 3.2, and there's other diets in there. But overwhelmingly, if you add up low-carb and keto, you're looking at about 45% of the diets Mm. people want to try in 2019 is a low-carb ketogenic plan. That's pretty amazing. Very cool. Very cool. See, I mean, that, that's what we're going to be seeing over 2019. I mean, the people, our, our listeners, it'll be like their friends and family that judge them before. And now they'll be like, they'll find out, oh, they're doing it. Oh, wait, you yes. used to criticize me for doing it. Yes. I see that all the time. People get flack and now they're like, they're on the bandwagon with them. Oh, you become the guru for those people now. And I, I, t- I tell people that, you know, they're going to first mock you and make fun of you, but you, just you wait. They will come. And a lot a lot of my family has done that. My mom and my sister and my father-in-law and a couple of Christine's cousins, they're all now doing keto where all of them pretty much just kind of laughed at us. In fact, my father-in-law, he's like, I thought you were crazy sticking butter on top of steak instead of steak sauce. And I'm like, it's pretty good, isn't it, Dad? It's <laughs> great. Yep. Well, let's get to the next headline. The most popular diets millennials want to try in 2019. This is in Business Insider. And so for this one, they surveyed uh, various ones and wanted to see. And these were the millennial. So these are the younger generation who you would think would be in the, you know really hip into trying to find the best diets that would work. And by golly, what did they choose, Will? 31.1% want to try a low-carb diet as well. Um, of course, 23.5 want to cut their calories because that's what mom and dad probably taught them to do. Ketogenic came in third with 19.3%. So once again, we have an overwhelming number of the millennial generation that wants to try it. Now, millennials, I, I'm beginning to love their spirit because they're willing to buck the trend of what convention says. And I think if we're going to really make a difference in this world and change people over to more thinking more ketogenically, it's going to happen because of the millennial generation. I agree. And the millennials are also very aware of the real food component to this. So they will they get it better than their parents do. Um, so I'm excited the fact that they'll be doing it in a real food way and they're they're uh, open to different approaches. Yep. Well, the last health headline we have here is from The Star. Are steak and cheese healthy? Doctors group says Canada's food guide is wrong on diet. Pushing aside a makeshift podium in the modest hospital 
at CFB Trenton, Dr. Barbara Allen Bradshaw says she told a, gra- a crowd of Army nurses, doctors, and dietitians that Canada's food guide is making you sick and that eating a diet high in carbohydrates, low in fat, like the nation's food et- experts all suggest, isn't the way to a healthy heart or physique. She says it's just bad advice. Oh my goodness, I love this lady. And she goes on to talk about the negative ramifications uh, of of basically eating that way. And, you know, I, I want to see a doctor in America speak up like this. We're seeing it over in the UK with people like Dr. Asim Mahaltra over in South Africa with uh, Professor Tim Noakes. And in uh, Australia, we have Pete Evans and Dr. Gary Fetke. But we need an American version of of this kind of thing happening to call out what is horrible, horrible advice, just like this Dr. Barbara Allen Bradshaw has done. Yeah, I agree. I think we do have voices, but they don't come out maybe as strong uh, as these uh, other, you know, in Canada and in the UK and Australia. But I mean, there's a lot of us in the functional medicine community that are saying it, but we're, we're probably not going so much against the, you know, the political side of things like like these doctors are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, and I can understand it. There's a lot of vested interest. And plus, America's a, a huge country. Some of these other countries are are smaller. So it's a little easier to be vocal in a smaller country. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's all the health headlines that we had. And we uh, I think we'll pause here, come back with the study and today's featured questions. Check out LifeSense products featuring the most potent C8 MCT oil and powder, BHB exogenous ketone salts with only natural sweeteners and new to the world C8 MCT oil for dogs. All of these products are scientifically formulated by Dr. Alvin Berger, who is the world-renowned lipid biochemist and nutritionist, as well as an expert in ketogenic fats. LifeSense has developed a custom easy pour bottle for C8 MCT oil, and they've introduced more innovative state-of-the-art nutritional products. Go to LifeSenseProducts.com to get your premium products all proudly made in the USA for the low-carb lifestyle. LifeSenseProducts.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, and we're up to the study portion of the show. And this is the part of the show where we take a look at some something that is happening in the world of research science that is of interest to uh, the Ketonians. This one, food brings double dose of pleasure to your brain. This was a really interesting one, and I'm uh, very interested to hear what Mr. Gut Health has to say about this one. There may be a powerful reason why you can't resist that plate of brownies. It turns out that eating causes the release of dopamine in your brain, not once, but twice, according to German scientists. First, the feel-good hormone is unleashed as you eat, but the same thing that happens again uh, happens again once that food hits your tummy. Uh, to come to that conclusion, they used a newly developed PET scan technique. It scans them uh, it, the scans let them identify when the dopamine is released, as well as the areas of the brain that are linked to this release. While the first release occurred in brain regions associated with reward and sensory perception, the post-ingestive release involved additional regions related to higher cognitive functions, according to the senior study author Mark uh, Titgeimer. 
I can't say his name, from the Max Planck Institute for Metabolism Research. For the study, they got 12 volunteers who got a milkshake uh, or a tasteless solution as PET scan data was recorded. And the researchers found that the desire for the milkshake was linked to the amount of dopamine that was released in the particular brain areas as it was first tasted. The higher the desire, the less dopamine was released after the milkshake was ingested. This was in the December 27th journal Cell Metabolism. Pretty fascinating because everybody you know, talks about dopamine, but they don't think about there's a double dose of it possibly happening that makes you really want those brownies. Yeah, it's amazing, really, what the body can do. And the food industry knows this stuff. I mean, they know how to tap into your biochemistry and have you, they want you to keep coming back for more for the next fix of the junk food. Um, So this is really cool. They kind of looked at the mechanisms and this double uh, dose of pleasure to the brain. Um, And we can see again this magic of the gut brain connection and the fact that your gut is your second brain. It's formed from the same fetal tissue when we're all growing in our mom's womb and they're linked for the rest of our lives. And this study was kind of showing that uh, the fact that the gut and brain is sort of this bi directional communication line uh, and it's enhancing these uh, neurotransmitters uh, that are responsible for pleasure and can be addictive as well. So. Definitely cool. So they measured uh, with this new PET scan technology uh, ostensibly in the brain. Could they put something near the gut that would measure to see if there was a dopamine release down there and quantify how much of a release and when it happened? Do you know if that's possible? I'm sure that they could. I'm sure that they could. And the more that we more studies like this that are done, we'll be able to look at the connection between the two and the fact that what happens in the gut influences the brain and vice versa. Um, yeah, I definitely think more and more good studies are going to come out of this region of of looking at the body, at the impact that the gut and brain have on our, on our health and have on our decision making. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a good study to start the new year with. So. <laughs> it's good. Well, let's get to the featured questions of the day. This is the the creme de la creme, the 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 meat, so to speak, of the show. And the first question comes from Clara. Hi, Jimmy and Will. I really love your podcast. It gives such insight on the keto lifestyle. I also like the way you debunk some of the claims about keto in the media. Thank you both for your books to help educate us as well. I've been keto for the past two years to help balance my hormones and to help heal my gut dysbiosis. I'm not quite seeing all the results I want, so I've committed to remaining very low carb with 20 to 30 grams total carbohydrates daily as my goal. This keeps my blood glucose around 70 to 80 milligrams per deciliter, and it boosts my ketone levels, but there is a problem. When I am in a heavy state of ketosis, I don't sleep well, I get leg cramps, my heart starts to pound, and I can uh, feel my pulse accelerating, seemingly all signs of electrolyte imbalance, right? But I have increased my water intake along with sodium, potassium, magnesium, and more, And it hasn't helped when I raise my carbohydrate intake well over my goal of 20 to 30 grams daily. All of these symptoms disappear, but then I have high blood glucose in the 90s. Could it have something to do with my gut health issues that's driving all of this? Thank you very much for your advice and keep up the great work, Clara. So Clara has the perfect question for Dr. Will Cole. Could gut dysbiosis cause lifestyle issues that can mimic electrolyte? Imbalance. 
The answer, the short answer is yes, um, but the the long answer is we have to kind of look at both sides of this. Is that gut dysbiosis can cause electrolyte electrolyte imbalance, meaning that if someone's has significant amount of imbalance in the microbiome, that can inhibit the amount of absorption of certain electrolytes, the utilization of certain electrolytes. So they may be at a deficit already, and then when they go into ketosis, instead of setting them over the edge. So that's something to consider. But even electrolyte imbalance removed, it may have nothing to do with electrolyte imbalance, and it's just a response of this dysbiosis if it's going on. I don't know if this is found out for sure, if she had labs ran to find out if she does have gut dysbiosis, but if you want to, I would run labs. You don't want to yeah. think that you have it and be testing or treating yourself for something or thinking you have it if you don't have it. Um, but with with that said, let's assume that she has it. Yeah. Um, you can have die-off symptoms. You can have these Herxheimer responses when, uh, because what what's going on in the gut? If they're not getting all the sugar that they once were getting, uh, you can have these responses that can mimic an electrolyte imbalance. So that's something uh, to consider for sure. Uh, but when I was listening to her question, she mentioned increasing her carbs. If she goes over her carb uh, amount for the day, 20 to 30 grams a day, but then she, she said, Okay, her symptoms dissipated, but she had what she called high blood glucose levels in the 90s. Uh, that's not extremely high. Right. And when you're talking about fasting glucose, yes, the functional optimal range for fasting glucose is technically under um, nine, under 90. But I mean, we know there are many people in the keto world that have, have physiological insulin resistance. They have slightly higher dawn phenomenon in the morning, but their A1C looks amazing. They're not having insulin resistance, pathological insulin resistance. They don't have increased risk factors that pathological insulin resistance has. So if she's worried when increasing your carbs above 30 grams a day only raises your glucose in the 90s, and I don't even know if that's fasting or non-fasting, right. run an A1C. Look at your triglyceride levels. You may just be better with a little bit higher carbs and you're still going to get the benefits of being in ketosis, the benefits of living a low carb life, uh, where you can just personalize it in that way, and there's no no sweat about it. But I mean, so this is some things that that came to mind when I heard the question. So, what's the mechanism why she didn't sleep well and got leg cramps and had uh, a pounding heart and an accelerating pulse? What exactly is happening? If she was she too low carb, is that what I hear you saying? Well, it could be, or it. Definitely could be because what could be happening is if there is some die off from the gut overgrowth or if there's bacterial overgrowth or yeast and fungal overgrowth, she could just be having these sort of quote unquote detox symptoms for a while and those will dissipate if it's truly caused by gut dysbiosis. So I don't think it's too low carb, but it may be too low carb for somebody with gut dysbiosis yeah. it, it, at that time. And then when their body recalibrates, it will dissipate. Um, but you want to do a differential diagnosis here and kind of see, is it the gut dysbiosis? Where are your glucose? Run some other glucose, A1C, triglyceride yes. numbers to see if this is even something to be even considering. It may be fine and you just need to increase your carbs a little bit. But again, you're still going to get the benefits of being in ketosis because above 30 grams is not extremely high. Right. Yeah, Clara, let us know if you run an A1C and a triglyceride level, maybe a small dense LDL particle number. 
um, because it would be interesting to see that maybe what you think are horrible, a little bit of orthorexia might be coming in here <laughs> that she's like letting good get in the way of, I guess, what she thinks is perfection with the 70 yeah. to 80 that she's getting now in her blood glucose. 90s isn't horrible. Um, 150s is very horrible. So uh, context is everything. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, Clara, thank you for your question. And we are up to the second featured question. This one's from Sharon. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I've been a big fan for many years. I appreciate all you guys do to make us healthier. My husband and I have been keto for the past year and are doing quite well. I've always had a bad cholesterol profile, including the particle size abnormalities. Uh, I have taken myself off of statins and I will be getting a blood workup in the next month or so. I've been researching lipids a great deal, and I want to find out if I have gene variants in the APOE, LPL, ADIPOQ, and APOA2 genes. That's a whole lot of alphabet soup I'm going to let uh, Will explain here in a minute. Here is one article I found which says the following. Why is limiting saturated fat more important for people carrying certain gene variants? Several genes involved in fat and cholesterol metabolism have variants that affect the way the human body reacts to saturated fat. Carriers of these variants cannot handle high levels of dietary saturated fat as efficiently as non-carriers. And it goes on to uh, you know, talk about why saturated fat may need to be limited in people with these gene variant, uh, variants. I have contacted 23andMe to see if they could provide this kind of information, but they haven't gotten back to me. So do you know what genetic testing company I could use to get this information that I'm looking for? Thanks so much for any help that you might be able to give me. Best regards, Sharon. So Sharon uh, is one of our nerdy Ketonians, and we love you guys. Thanks for being out there. She wants to know what genetic test should I run to determine how best to eat for my gene variants? Uh, so the yes, you can get a lot of that data from 23andMe uh, raw gene data. Um, so she can, uh, the, specifically the ones that I, I look at more than anything is the APOE. When you talk about fatty, uh, like lipids yeah. and, and genetic variants that have to do with, with lipids, I would look at the APOE more than anything. These other ones, I think you can look at the APOA, APOO, A2 as well. I'm not, not sure about the ADI POQ that she's talking about. Um, but the big, bigger ones where there's a lot of data on, yes, you can get that from 23andMe. Um, you can either get it directly from 23andMe and I'll tell you in a, in, in a moment, or you can upload the raw uh, gene data from 23andMe to things like Prometheus or to uh, Stratagene. Uh, those are two different things that'll just tell you, do you have, which, which SNP do you have, which yeah. polymorphism or mutation do you have? But if you want to go in and do a little bit more work yourself, uh, from 23andMe's sort of server, you can do it that uh, natively on 23andMe. And what you have to do is just go uh, look under tools uh, in the in, on 23andMe and click uh, on Browse Raw Data, uh, and that will take you to a page with uh, basically this huge graph of your genetics. Uh, and then you can type in specific SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms. You'll see it as SNPS. Um, but the two SNPs that have to do with APOE are, uh, they're, they're long again, they're, but I'll, I'll, write, I'll, I'll read it out, uh, is RS429358 and RS7412. These are the two 
that are um, that are associated with the ApoE mutation. So, so basically, I would take that information and then go to something called SNPedia or S-N-P-E-D-I-A, and then that will help you interpret your results. So you're basically getting the information tw- from 23andMe, then going to SNPedia, and then you're saying, okay, what do my uh, numbers say compared to this sort of, uh, you know, deciphering that the data? Uh, it's a lot easier to just go to Prometheus or Strategy and then just have them uh, figure it out for you. Uh, but some people want to do it themselves. Uh, does this website by Dr. Rhonda Patrick, does it do some of that stuff as well? Because I know she's taken a lot of the raw data and tried to assimilate into patient-friendly uh, terms as well. Have you used that one? I haven't used that one, but I assume that they, they would give you similar uh, information. And every one you go to, there's gonna they're going to give you different nuggets of information that the other one probably doesn't have with a lot of overlap. Um, but a few you'll find that, hey, I didn't know that from this report, but I got it from this report. And then, you know, more is better for people that like this kind of information. Yeah. And they'll be able to utilize it in their life. I think what holds people back on this kind of testing is the reliability. Is it truly has it been vetted out? Does it really mean anything? What can I tangibly take from uh, reports like this? Uh, so you've been around this for a little while. Do you think they're reliable enough to make, you know, changes into your diet and lifestyle um, that would be meaningful? I would say yes. I mean, there's a lot of information you can get from this to make tweaks into your lifestyle. Um, And if my experience on seeing thousands of patients over the years, I would say that this is a tool to use. Yeah. But we have to preface this with that. It's not entirely about genetics. Uh, I mean, genet- our genetics haven't changed for thousands and thousands of years. So what the big changes uh, when it comes to the topic of health and longevity and optimal wellness isn't actually genetics in most cases. Yeah. It is epigenetics. So I would say you can, even if you have these gene mutations, even if you have like a double mutation or a 4-4 or an MTHFR, like double mutation, all these ones that people don't want to have, those have been around for a long time. Right. So I think more than than them, it's actually the lifestyle things, the epigenetic factors that you can change and you can actually wield a lot more power over your health than genetics. So I don't think it's the entirety of it. And I don't think people should be overly fixated about genetics, but it's a piece of the puzzle. Right. So I wouldn't ignore, ignore it entirely, but I wouldn't make it the central part of every decision you're making because someone can have the worst genetic predispositions for things. And it's not even manifesting in their life. I see that a lot yeah. on reports where they're like, well, this gene mutation says you should have this, this and this. And they don't have any of that. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's that gene's not being expressed in that right. way. But it does say this is a predisposition and this is something to keep in mind. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say about it. And for those that, of you that are brand new to some of this jargon, epigenetics is where you can express the genes or, or turn off the expression of a gene based on lifestyle choices in your diet and and various factors in your lifestyle. So that that's what uh, Will's talking about with epigenetics. But Sharon doesn't need that explanation because she knows all about this stuff. And Sharon, thank you for your question. Hopefully that uh, information helped you out here today. And we're up to the third featured question of the day. This one's from Gianna. 
Hello, Jimmy and Dr. Will. I'm a 48-year-old female experiencing difficulties with my weight and health. I started keto in May of 2016 and lost 40 pounds, but it was so slow in my opinion. My general practitioner supports keto and said the medications that I take for my bipolar 2, anxiety, depression, and OCD would cause my metabolism to be slower than the average female. Honestly, I've been worried about my metabolism in a ketogenic state because I feel no hunger at all most of the time, which has me only eating about 750 to 1,000 calories a day because I only eat when I'm hungry. In May of 2017, I had a total hysterectomy. All of the 40 pounds I lost came back on with another 20 pounds very quickly. I've had horrible side effects from this because I can't take hormones due to a genetic predisposition for breast cancer. I'm now at the heaviest weight I've ever been, was just diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. To say that I'm shocked and devastated is an understatement. Although my blood ketones are consistently over 1.0 uh, millimoles per liter, I'm just about ready to give up on this. So my questions for you guys is this. Why did I gain back so much weight after the hysterectomy? Do the mental health medications that I take play a role in my weight gain despite being in ketosis. Again, thank you for your show. I've been listening since the beginning. I look forward to hearing from you and what I can tinker and test to find results. Gianna. So Gianna's got a lot of stuff going on here, Will. And her question is about, can a hysterectomy and mental health drugs lead to the weight gain that she's having despite being in ketosis? So either a complete hysterectomy like hers or even a partial hysterectomy, it is something that I see clinically a lot where they are having real a lot of dif difficulty losing weight, uh, keeping it off. Uh, so I would run a postmenopausal hormonal panel. Typically what we do is uh, what's called the Dutch test. It's, a, it's dried urine and a saliva test to look at a really comprehensive view of where their hormones are at now after the procedure. Um, so maybe consider talking to a functional medicine practitioner or a hormone specialist that can run those labs um, because it seems like she's trying to do everything right, but she's yeah. at a standstill. Um, so that's some diagnostic information that can maybe illuminate uh, what's specifically going on there. Uh, and then people, some people have hysterectomies and don't have any. Uh, weight gain issues, but yeah. it is something that I definitely see happen um, frequently. Christine had one two years ago and she she didn't gain weight. Yeah. So it's definitely not everybody, but it's, it can shift some people that are already maybe struggling with something. It's going to recalibrate a lot of things in the body. Um, but the medications specifically, I mean, many bipolar medications specifically, mood stabilizers, antidepressants, antipsychotics, they're linked to uh, changes in the metabolism, making it difficult to lose weight, gaining weight inexplicably. And that's just with like one of these medications. But many, pe many people that are struggling with these mental health issues are put on numerous medications. And then that can compound this weight gain problem. So yes, they're linked to weight gain, uh, a lot of them, a whole list of them. Um, but they're not only just weight gain, but also increasing the rates of type 2 diabetes, increasing heart disease and other health problems. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things that they're obviously on the medication for a reason, and I'm not going to say go off the medication, but right. they have to have a conversation with their doctor to find something sustainable. Maybe there's another thing they can try. Maybe they could go to more of a functional 
uh, mental health specialist to kind of come up with some alternative options that aren't pharmaceutical. Well, doesn't the ketogenic diet help with a lot of those issues that she outlined that she's taking medications for? Certainly, certainly. So when you talk about anxiety, depression, OCD, uh, bipolar disorder, a lot of those things and a lot of listeners out there right now will tell you those things improved when they started cleaning up their diet, eating a ketogenic lifestyle. Yep. So, uh, yeah, but I, on this side, when I'm on a podcast, I can't say go off your medication right, right, right. and just eat the ketogenic, eat, eat keto. Um, sometimes people need to be on medications for certain things and sometimes they can't go off it too soon. They have to allow their body to heal more. Sure. So talk with your doctor. Maybe there's other alternative things to try um, while your body is healing. Now, finally, this very, very, very low calories. Um, and and th- this is kind of a side note to her question, but it's an interesting one because a lot of people say this. I'm not hungry at all on my keto, so I'm only eating about 700 to 1,000 calories a day. Should people in that camp, you know, purposely make themselves eat a little more so you're not in a hypochloric state? Well, yeah, I would probably try to eat a little bit more than that low, low calorie. That's pretty low. Um, but at the same time, increase it as much as you can, but you don't want to force feed yourself. And right. I find that sometimes people that are in this healing mode, they their body does go through times where they are hypocaloric. They aren't eating lots of food, but it's part of that healing process. You just want to make sure that's not a forever thing. Right. You're not eating that 700 calories for, <laughs> for months and months. That's not appropriate. Um, but for a time, I feel like sometimes the body naturally just innately goes into these fasting periods while yes. the body's healing. And this, I mean, she's going through some real health stuff and she's gone through hysterectomy. So her body is recalibrating and we want to see long term where that goes and what's sustainable for her. And fatty liver as well. So, yeah, uh, interesting stuff happening, Gianna. Definitely. We wish you well in your continued journey. And no, I don't think you need to give up on keto um, I think it's going to be the ultimate answer along with some other lifestyle things. I know a good functional medicine guy that you could uh, contact. DrWillCole.com is his website. Thanks, Jimmy. Keto Talk Mailbox is where we're going next. And the question is from Susan. Uh, by the way, in the Keto Talk Mailbox portion of the show, we always bring a kind of interesting question. So this one was quite interesting to me, Will, from Susan. Hi, Jimmy and Will. I'm a very big fan of your show and listen to your podcast all the time. I would like to hear more about the effect on keto on various eating disorders. The current trend in diagnosis and treatment of this includes labeling someone with an eating disorder if they restrict their carbohydrate intake from foods such as pizza and pasta because they say nobody should be afraid of consuming those carbs. The treatment also includes having people eat everything on their meal plate that includes carbs like pastries and even candy. The belief by these experts is that you need to eat a variety of all kinds of foods and not restrict any one food group. What are your thoughts about this, Susan? Oh, we both have lots of thoughts about this. The question is, does someone with an eating disorder make their problem worse by going keto? So I I, want to put out the caveat about eliminating and restricting a food group. It has to be food first. And so I don't see pasta as food. I don't see pizza as as food. I don't see candy and pastries as food. Those are all food-like disease agents. If you want to talk about real food and having these people eat real food carbs like sweet potatoes and maybe even a banana or something like that, okay, fine. 
but don't pretend like those other things are real whole foods. Yeah, I think when you look at junk food and say you can't have it, 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 to me, it's so much has to do with what's your relationship with food? What are you? Do you have a good relationship with food? Do you have a good relationship with your body, with yourself? I think that getting that head in your heart right, a ketogenic diet for people that are struggling with eating disorders actually can do really well because their body feels great. It's great for their brain. It lowers inflammation levels. Their hormones are more balanced. Their insulin levels are more balanced. They feel less anxious and depressed, and they feel more in control of their body in a healthy, sustainable way. Um, But when you look at junk food and then you say you can't have that, again, that's also perspective. Yes. Is it restrictive to avoid foods that make you feel like crap? Is it restrictive to avoid foods that feed disease? Is that restrictive? I mean, what world (laughs) do we live in where that is restriction? Uh, No, it's it's really, you can eat whatever you want. This is about personal decision, but if there are food-like products, if there is junk food that moves you away from health, it's not restriction to avoid that. That's loving your body enough to nourish it with good foods. It's saying, no, I value my health so much that I don't want to actually feel lousy. I don't want to feed my body disease. So we, our culture is so backwards when it comes to this. Uh, it is not a, this is what we're talking about on the show is not about dieting. Ultimately, it's not about another thing to try, uh, to punish your body. Uh, it's really giving your body grace and so much love and respect that you want to nourish it with good healing foods. And I think a lot of this mentality comes from the fact that people that have bulimia or anorexia and they've lost a lot of weight. Oh, we need to put weight back on them in any means possible. And that means they eat things that are not not necessarily ideal for your diet. Well, so be it because they got to get weight back on their body again. But then you're teaching them a whole nother eating disorder, in my opinion, where they possibly binge on sugar and then get addicted to that. So it's this ruthless cycle uh, that you hope that people can come off of. Exactly. I mean, and that's that's the truth. They have them don't calorie restrict at all and they're eating processed foods and sugar. But what does that do to someone's brain? What does that do to their hormones and their mood? Um, I mean, that's the great thing about the ketogenic diet, too. We say eat until satiety. You can eat as much as you want. This is not restrictive in that way. So I think it could be quite therapeutic for people that do have eating disorders because you are eating very satiating very filling, very calorically dense foods. Uh, This is not radical uh, in the least. Right. Well, Susan, thank you for your question. And we are up to the iTunes review portion of the show. We got a few that came in while we were gone. This one is from SSJ246, Potentially Life-Saving Podcast. Honestly, information like this is a lifesaver With the amount of people falling victim to cardiovascular disease around the world, especially in the U.S., we need more voices like Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole to be heard, and people need to hear their word. I had a stroke at the age of 23, which doctors pinpointed most likely uh, to the PFO I had in my heart. I went vegetarian, then vegan for two years out of fear for my life that another episode would happen to me. I lost 10 to 15 pounds, lowered blood pressure. I didn't feel as healthy as people always assumed I was. Then I got introduced to keto, ate vegetarian keto for a little over a year and a half. I dropped another 30 pounds, never felt better in my life. I introduced meat back into my diet again 
to help with bodybuilding and my keto journey. And while serving in the Marine Corps in Japan, I didn't have a lot of access to keto information, but I started listening to Jimmy and Will, and I was able to better guide myself due to their knowledge, and it's worth thousands of dollars to me. Honestly, you could get... uh, You get better information here than you would ever get from five to 10 visits to the doctor. It's just the way the system is. The doctors are there to treat your ailment and the prevention is secondary. It seems like with experts like this uh, on this podcast, you could potentially save your life and that of your loved ones. They address some of the most important information that many others are afraid of, such as how the food industry directs itself to the biggest fad of the day for money and how you could get yourself off of medication by giving the proper nutrition to your body. People don't realize that the one thing we do most to our body is feed it, so it's imperative that we put in it uh, what we put in it needs to be healthy for you. Give them a try. Trust me, your perspective of food and health will completely change when you get all that nerdy knowledge from Dr. Will Cole and the information that Mr. Moore provides, too, is just worth thousands. Thank you, gentlemen, and keep it up. I think this person needs their own podcast. They had a lot of passion in that review. (laughs) Well, thank you for that review. And if you'd like to leave us your passionate review, head on over to Apple Podcast. Type in Jimmy Moore, Dr. Will Cole, Keto Talk. You will find the show and you too can leave us your review. Well, Will, that's it for this episode 132 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Uh, KetoTalk.com is the website and you can connect with your fellow Ketonians over on Facebook at KetoTalkFB.com. Will, it was great to be back in the saddle with you again this week, man. I, I missed you. Yeah. I missed you too. I'm glad that we are back and people can look forward to an exciting 2019 on Keto Talk. Yes. So guys, until next time, we'll see you then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc of Light.